Welcome to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast where we discover God's truth for ourselves. Do you want to know how to better study God's Word? Then participate in one of our free online workshops or join one of our online Bible studies. There's tons of times and options to choose from. Head to our website to register now at www.preceptministries.ca. On our website, you can also get connected to our social media pages and join our email list to stay updated on the many things God is doing through Preset Ministries. We want to hear from you. If you have been impacted by these podcasts, then we want to know. Email us your testimonies to info at preceptministries.ca. We can't wait to hear about how God is working in your life. Now, stay tuned for Unlocking the Truth, a study on the book of 2 Peter. Hello, everyone. It's Mark Sheldrake here, Unlocking the Truth podcast. This podcast is a ministry of Precept Ministries in Canada. Thankful for uh, the opportunity to uh, come and use uh, the internet in this way to kind of walk through the scriptures and, and look at what these scriptures uh, mean to you and I. We're working through 2 Peter right now. Want to just before we uh, pray and dig into where we're headed. If you're following along with us and you're using uh, the precept upon precept book, uh, so happy that you are doing so. We're going to do a little sidetrack next week. Uh, we're going to cover this week Second uh, Peter chapter one, basically verses three to twelve. Then we're going to look at verses 16 to 21 next week with a slight um, curveball uh, that comes outside of the homework of Second Peter, but it is looking at the doctrine of the Word of God. And so we'll spend some time walking through uh, the doctrine of the Word of God, and then we're going to get back on track into Second Peter uh, walking through those uh, verses on the false teachers. So, little sidetrack, we'll, we'll go through uh, chapter 1 up till verse uh, 12, maybe verse 15 uh, today, and then sidetrack 16 to 20, Doctrine of the Word of God next week. But, so excited to be walking through this text with you today because uh, this is going to be uh, a challenging text. It's challenging to me every time I read it, every time I um, really study it and, and get back into it. So I hope and pray that the Holy Spirit will be working through each and every one of you as well. Let's pray together. Let's dig into the text. Father, we do thank you for uh, today. We thank you for the air that we breathe. We thank you that you are sovereign over all things. Father, we thank you that you are the God who sees that, Lord, nothing um, in this world happening right now is outside of your plan and design, and you see all that is happening. Father, you see uh, how your people are responding uh, to uh, the culture around them. You see how the, the people who are not um, considered children of God responding to the culture. Father, you see the hate in the world. You see the hate and the mistruth in the world. And Father, our desire is to be more and more like you each and every day. And so uh, we have to dig into your word. We have to uh, 
unlock the truth of these scriptures so we can know you better, that we can be transformed by your word, that we can be ready for uh, your second coming. We pray these things as we guide, use your Holy Spirit to work in our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, like I've said before, uh, multiple times, uh, I, I love Second Peter. I, um, I find this book to be uh, a very challenging book. It's one of the very first books that I ever studied uh, when I first came on staff at Precept uh, using the new inductive study series. I have um, uh, taught Second Peter uh, in student ministry with Transform Student Ministry. We did a, we did a student conference called the Le- In the Last Days. Uh, I've also had the opportunity to lead uh, a couple local churches um, one through a family camp. Can you imagine walking through Second Peter in four, four sessions? Got to get all those done in four sessions. But I'm so thankful to get back into it again. Every time uh, I cross-reference into it, every time um, I uh, just open my book, even if I'm flipping towards Revelation, I just my heart starts to beat because. Oh, Second Peter is so phenomenal. So let's get, let's get into it. All right. So uh, Peter, we we talked about this in the overview. Peter is uh, really writing his final words, his final uh, message to to the uh, people scattered all over the place, the believers, and uh, he's done this as a a way to um, stir up and remind the people of what they know. Then last uh, episode, we also kind of got this standard going of uh, verse 3, which um, it says, um, seeing that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and his excellence. So we're going to start with this and we're going to we're going to pull out and it's not quite, you know, that perfect three-point message, all right? It's close. It's like 2.5. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through these verses. We're going we're gonna to tackle them head on. But the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to look at the first four verses of Second Peter um, chapter 1. And in those four, first four verses we're going to ask this question. The question that comes from those four verses is, what has God done for us? All right, so if you're a note taker, uh, that's the first question. What has God done for us? So let's walk back through those first four verses and see what uh, Peter uh, begins to write in this letter. Okay, Simon Peter, a bondservant, and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received the same faith, um, or to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory 
and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption uh, that is in the world by lust. I don't know about you, but if you're somebody who marks their Bible, like I mark my Bible, like Second Peter for me, the Bible has markings and, and notes everywhere. And man, I fumble through reading this sometimes because there's so many markings in there that uh, you just can't help but pull through. All right, so let's take a look and see what God has done for us in the um, first few verses. Okay, so simple listing, you know, you observe the text, and then you write a list on what you've observed in the text. So the first thing is, we see that Peter is a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. All right, so um, a bondservant for, in, in this setting, Peter is uh, bound to service without wage. He's, he's a slave uh, to Jesus Christ, but he wants to be there in that position. He, that is a desire that he has put himself in, in service to Jesus Christ. Now, he's writing to this church, to this group of believers. They have received the same faith that Peter has, Peter and, and the apostles, all right? And that faith has come by the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So these people are believers. So the first thing that God has done for these believers is he has taken them from being children of wrath to being children of God. All right, so I wanted to walk through a couple of cross-references and and first go to 1 John uh, chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. So in 1 John... Chapter 3, one, verses 1 and 2, we're going to see that uh, what John has to say. He says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. Uh, for this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. Verse 3 says, Everyone who has this hope fixed on Jesus purifies himself just as Jesus is pure. So we have these believers that are sharing together with the writer Peter in the same faith in Jesus Christ. These people in this letter who are receiving it have the privilege of being called a child of God. Now, let's look at how this happens. All right, it's by the righteousness of our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, if we continue through, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God himself. We're coming back to that to that knowledge aspect of all this. But let's look at Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. So uh, Galatians chapter 1, uh, verses 3 to 5. And listen to what Paul says to the church at Galatia 
regarding what God has done for believers. He says, um, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So what do we learn in the Galatians passage? It's by the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that uh, we believe in his death, burial, and resurrection, and therefore have the opportunity, by God's grace, by salvation, to be called a child of God. All right, so we've got um, that he ha- we have the same faith. Now, let's look at one more cross-reference, okay? And then uh, we should put this all together, okay? John chapter 8 Uh, verses 31 to 36. I don't know about you, but if you're following along in your Bible, uh, I always say, and I say this to churches when I go and visit too, you got to turn to learn. There's nothing better than when somebody, uh, when you're in a church, oh, how great it will be to be meeting in church again uh, very soon, right? Uh, Here in Ontario, lockdown. Total number of people allowed in church, 10. So most churches are online, but there's nothing better for a teacher to be able to hear those pages turn uh, as you follow along. So I have to Im- imagine in my mind, you're all turn- turning the pages with me. All right, turn to learn, folks. John chapter 8, verses 31 to 36. It says, Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And if you will know the truth, the truth will make you free. Uh, They answer him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. All right, and this starts with uh, believing in Jesus and what Jesus has done on the cross. And when we believe in Jesus, we have the privilege of being called a child of God and we are no longer slave to sin, but we are free, free indeed. Reminds me of my childhood, my teenage years with the band DC Talk Uh, They had the song, Free Indeed. I can hear it in my head. Oh my goodness, you're free. The sun has set you free. You are free indeed. All right, and so what you have here, you have this group of believers. They are of the same faith. That faith being the foundation of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. These people are children of God. They are believers uh, that have come to know Uh, Jesus through the gospel. And so they are free, they are living, they are pursuing Jesus. Now we get to this next part, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So now here's where we're kicking into this now, okay? We've set the foundation of who these people are and where they're at. But if you were to simply mark, okay, put a box around every word uh, every time you see the word knowledge, you're going to see the word knowledge. Let me let me count them for you as I can pull them out, okay? So chapter 1, verse 3, 
chapter 5. It's uh, chapter 1, verse 5, chapter 1, verse 6, chapter 1, verse 8, uh, chapter 1, verse 12. All right, so chapter 1, verse 20, just in one uh, sixteen. Look, at, I'm just pulling them out as I'm going because I'm seeing these boxes in the text. And so as I look through and I just glance across the page, I know that throughout this section of scripture that we're going to look at, the word knowledge has a vital role in chapter 1. When God wants you to know something in his word, he's going to repeat it throughout. All right, so now what we want to do is we want to break down and we want to define knowledge. What does this knowledge mean? All right, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. All right, so this first knowledge that comes here in verse 3 is the Greek word epinosis. And that word means that it's a, a thorough knowledge. What is that thorough knowledge of? It's a thorough knowledge of what God has done for you. And at that thorough knowledge of what God has done to you or more fuller knowledge of that, it forms and influences the way you act and live in your life. Okay, let me repeat that because it is so important as we continue to unwrap these verses that we're looking at today, epinosis is a thorough knowledge that forms and influences your life. All right, that epinosis is found in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, verse 3, and verse 8. It's also found in chapter 2, verse 20. So that epinosis, that knowledge, that fuller knowledge, that thorough knowledge that forms and shapes your life is just all the way out. It threads its way through all of chapter 1. All right, so now let's look at what he goes. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge, that fuller knowledge that forms and shapes your life of God and Jesus our Lord, seeing that his, but his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the epinosis of Jesus, who called us by his own glory and excellence. So because we have this full, fuller knowledge, this fuller knowledge, this belief, this thorough understanding it changes our position. We are children of God. It's not just knowing the gospel. There are a lot of people who know the gospel, all right? You can talk to a lot of people that will tell you, oh, I know about the gospel. That's Easter. Jesus died. Jesus was buried, and Jesus rose again. That's a head knowledge of the gospel. This knowledge is a knowledge that you don't only know it with your with your mind, but you have sunk it into the, that main section of your body, that right into your heart, into your soul that is there, that you you are so sold out for the gospel that you have this more thorough knowledge and understanding of it that it actually begins to transform your life 
Do you see the difference? A head knowledge is, I know about that. There are a lot of people that know things. But this knowledge changes the way that you live. And so now he says, when you are in that true knowledge that, that God has given you everything you need to know in a way pertaining to life and godliness. He's given you all that because you are in that true, fuller knowledge of Jesus Christ and what happened on the cross. You're a step above those who have only uh, had knowledge of it, but not life transformation. So let's look what he says uh, via this... um, what happens, okay? So verse 4 is a term of conclusion. So because you have everything, um, granted everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called you by his own glory and his excellence, for by these he has granted us precious and magnificent promises. All right, so what are the promises? Well, it's eternal life. Uh, I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus says in Matthew, in my Father's house, there are many rooms. Uh, Those who believe in me will have eternal life. Those who uh, are not children of God will face a wrath. Those who are uh, a child of God will spend eternity with me in heaven. So this this is the promise. The promise is that those who are in the truer knowledge... They have uh, precious and magnificent promises. And by those promises, all right, another term of conclusion, so that by these promises, by these things, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by um, lust. Oh, my goodness. When I just begin to think about this, I just want to jump out of this chair that I'm sitting in, but if I do, I'll, I'll have, I won't be near the microphone anymore. It just gets me so fired up when I see that here, God has given because uh, of Jesus Christ and the fuller knowledge and understanding that's forming and shaping my, in our lives, we, have, uh, we can be partakers of the magnificent promises, eternal life, eternity with him, eternity in heaven, that we have all of these things, and by them, we will be partaking in the divine nature. We will be transformed, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when the perishable put on the imperishable, we will spend eternity in heaven. We will no longer be in this corrupt world. I cannot help but think about what's happening in the world today. Uh, I'm teaching through the book of Ezekiel right now, and uh, by the time you hear this, I believe that the uh, inauguration of Joe Biden will have been uh, two weeks ago. And so uh, I'm recording this, and the inauguration was just this past week. Uh, I don't know about you, but if you watched any of this inauguration or you saw the pivot that national media in the United States of America took, they begun have begun to worship this individual who now has taken 
the place of, of Donald Trump in the White House. They, they're looking to him as the knight in shining armor to, to change and transform this world that has become so filled with hate. Uh, I'm not 100% confident that Donald Trump is the one that brought on all that hate. Uh, he, he's played his part in it. Trust me, he's played his part in it. But we see this evil that is bubbling to the surface. We see all this untruth that's bubbling to the surface. And we're looking, not, not believers, we better not be looking towards uh, leadership in, in countries and uh, prime ministers and presidents and any of these things. But we should be looking towards heavens, which we'll be getting to in just a few weeks. But we're looking to these individuals to completely transform um, a culture or what's happening in the world. And the reality is what we're seeing here, the, the real transformation that's going to occur, the ultimate transformation that will occur comes through the greater thorough epinosis knowledge of Jesus Christ and God the Father. It's the opportunity to become partakers of the divine nature escaping the corruption of this world. There will be no earthly leader that will ever do what Jesus Christ can do for you and I. It's Jesus Christ by the work of the cross that is going to be completely transforming us. Why in the world do you want to look to somebody who's going to be in a position for four to eight years, and then off they go. This is what blows my mind about American politics. And, and not to get on the high horse about this, but you have one guy who comes in and does all these things over four years. And after four years, his turn is over in the White House. And on, on the first day, the other president can sign 17 different executive orders and completely erase what was done the previous four years. And that's where we're looking for our hope. We look to Jesus. He is the one that is going to completely transform. He's the one that is going to, by his blood, give us these magnificent promises that we will be partakers of the divine nature escaping the corruption of this world. I, my prayer life has continued to transform, and it continues to be, come, Lord Jesus, come. This corruption is just too much. I get frustrated over all of these things that are going on, and I've just started to just, like, drop social media because of the hate that's going on there, and I believe I said that last week. Let's focus on this this fuller knowledge, this fuller understanding that's going to completely transform our lives. Now, here's where Peter's going to convict us, and he's going to convict us big time. All right, so let's walk through um, some of these things that we're now going to, to see in, um, um, in this passage, okay? So what he's got here, um, for by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Um, you know, selfish desires and pulling things that you want and your eyes crave and your heart desires. Well, those things, uh, when we have a heart for Jesus, we, we have a passion for for leaving this place. There's nothing here that can 
satisfy us. All right, so now, verse 5, we have another term of conclusion. There's all these terms of conclusion. Okay, so now it's, now for this very reason. Okay, so now, the reason, you have to ask yourself, what is the reason? The reason is because we have this truer, fuller knowledge because we have these magnificent promises, because we will become partakers of the divine nature, because we will escape the corruption of this world, Peter then tells believers that when your focus is not on what's around you, but when your focus is on above you, your actions will be different. All right, so first thing first we see, he says, now this reason, apply all diligence. Apply all diligence in your faith. Uh, all diligence is, is to be making every effort, striving to do these things for the glory of Jesus Christ. All right, so before we can, can move into the next part, you've kind of got this break in, um, in the text because it's, it's sort of like point number two. All right, so point number two is that we uh, have to look at in verses 5 to 11, what is my response to what God has done for me? All right, so verses 1 to 4 what has God done for us? He's granted us magnificent promises, partakers of the divine nature, uh, became believers through Jesus Christ. And then in five, verses 5 to 11, we have our response to what God has done for us. So now this very reason, apply all diligence, which we've looked at, in your faith, supply moral excellence, in your moral excellence, uh, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours in increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ." For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification of former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing uh, you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Okay, so now let's look at each of these little um, characteristics one by one. Okay, so for this reason, apply all diligence. Make every effort. Now, what is the every effort that you are making? Okay, so what, what is the purpose of this diligence? This diligence that you are doing is you are making certain his calling and his choosing of you. So you are making every effort to ensure that your faith is so proving by the fruit 
that you have been called by Jesus Christ. Let's make this very clear before we move on. What we are seeing here is not legalistic in the actions, in the very fact that I have to be diligent to do certain things to be saved. This, what we're talking about, is that, if you want to put it in the plainest terms that we can all understand, is that when I pray that prayer, for example, all right, that salvation prayer, that, Father, you are, uh, you are gracious, you are loving, I am in need of a Savior, um, be Lord over my life. That if you say that, if you pray and you mean it with all your heart and you are in the truer knowledge that Jesus has saved you from your sins, that you have now become partakers of those promises and the divine nature, that your faith is truly changing the way that you live, now you want to make sure that your life so shows that, not for others, but that you are seeing fruit in your life as a part of your relationship with Jesus Christ. All right, so if you profess Jesus with your words and then go back to living like you were before uh, you were saved, well, that's not showing that you are in the true knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's just a head knowledge. But a true knowledge is one that transforms the way you live. All right, so we first have this um, be diligent, make every effort in your faith. All right, so this is work. You know, it's work when you're a Christian. It's more than just a prayer or walking an aisle or raising a hand. It's work. I don't know about you, but you're constantly in a battle with the flesh. The things of the world are so desirable. They're so easy. It's so easy to go backwards and live the way you were before versus living a life of what Jesus calls us to live, that's hard work. Uh, you face way more persecution from your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, because you're a Christian than when you don't. And you take it harder because some of these words that people have for Christians these days are, are absolutely uh, not nice. All right, so first we have this moral excellence. Uh, moral excellence really is outstanding goodness. All right, so be diligent in your outstanding goodness. All right, make that, make that stand out that uh, what you are doing in your life uh, shows uh, what good looks like. All right, so in, in this, he says, um, in your... Um, faith, supply, moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge. So the word supply uh, means lavishly, okay? So what we're looking at here is what Peter's saying is be all the more diligent in your faith, lavishly supplying goodness, outstanding goodness, um, above, above reproach, your, your life being with, without question. Does it mean perfection? Absolutely not. But having a life and a character above question. 
uh, this knowledge, okay, in verse 5, now this very reason also applying all diligence in your faith, uh, moral excellence, in your moral excellence knowledge. Uh, this knowledge is uh, the word gnosis. So previous epinosis, this is gnosis. And this is a general knowledge or intelligence which we can best tr um, define as seeking to know. This is vital part of this passage. This is where this, this gets me really excited, folks. Uh, you have seeking to know, okay? This gnosis is found in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, 2 Peter 1, verse 6, and 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. So gnosis is a general knowledge or intelligence seeking to know, okay? Then there is a third knowledge that we will come up to as we walk through the text um, in, in future weeks. But that third definition of knowledge is oida, and it's to know a fact or pay attention to. So to know a fact and pay attention to it. Okay, so but right now we've got this fuller knowledge. That's how we have become partakers of the divine knowledge. This knowledge in chapter 1, verse 5, look at how it reads out. Okay, now in this very reason also apply all diligence in your faith. Lavishly supplying, okay, supplying moral excellence, moral goodness. In your moral goodness uh, knowledge. All right, so then this is um, be diligent in seeking to know. Oh, man, this, oh, if this wasn't a precept, if this was not a precept study right now, I don't know where we would be, all right? It is seeking to know. And now watch what Peter does here. And in your seeking to know, in your knowledge, verse 6, self-control. Oh, oh my goodness. Okay, now we're going to put the puzzle pieces together. All right? So, uh, the best way that I can define this knowledge, not, not that the, the, uh, the Greek uh, translators haven't done a, a fantastic job of defining this, okay? The way that we can shed more light on this is this seeking to know is an, an investigative mind, all right? It's an investigative mind to seek out the truth, to investigate, 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 like a police officer investigates, like a lawyer investigates, as we seek to know the truth, to find out the truth. And let me tell you, in this world right now, there are people who do not desire to seek out the truth. They would rather create their own truth. And if you are in what is the true, real truth, you are judged without that individual ever seeking the true knowledge. People don't want it. They don't want the true knowledge. They just want to judge you based on their moral truth versus, say, what God's truth is. What Peter is telling us, and this is why it's so important when we get to this false teacher section, because in 2 Peter right now, we are living the same thing that these believers were living in the time that Peter wrote this. It's hard, it's hard now to determine what the truth is. 
I've said this in previous podcasts, but how can you even watch news today? How do you know what's true? It's absolutely atrocious. It's just not even worth putting on. I committed myself to reading uh, 52 books this year simply for the fact that I just do not want to spend the time trying to figure out whether TV channels like CNN or Fox News or CTV or whatever Canadian news we have is true or not true. Let's just seek after the truth that's found in God's word. Because the truth that's being presented within media is creating greater and greater battles for those who are of the faith. But look what he says again, as, as we are supplying, lavishly supplying, outstanding goodness. That as we have this investigative knowledge, it's not investigating truths of the world, it's investigating the truths about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and how Jesus wanted us to live and how we live a life that's pleasing to God as we prepare to become partakers of the magnificent promise. This is all preparation, folks. And so what he says is as you investigate, as you dig in, as you study, as you use the inductive method to observe, interpret, apply, that as God's word transforms you, you will develop self-control. Oh my goodness, this is so cool. And so self-control is a complete control over your own desires. And so as we get this self-control, and, and I'm guaranteeing you, if you're listening to this right now, think about it. As God's word has washed over you, as God's word has sunk into your heart, have you not seen that you've been able to control certain things within your own life and not act the way that you did before you were a child of God? It's because God's word has the power to transform. And so as we get this self-control, we start nailing off these sins that once controlled us and they no longer control us and we have no desire to pursue after those things anymore. The problem is that just when we think that we have come to the top, you know, all those sins have risen to the surface and we've scraped that scud off the top of the cup that guess what? Holy Spirit reveals to us more and more sin that we need to defeat. That is absolutely amazing. You have never arrived. I have never arrived. And so here we have that as we, we investigate the truth, we have self-control. And as we have self-control, this is where they start to, to layer on top of one another. All right, self-control brings about perseverance. Perseverance, in this case, in what Peter is talking about, is never giving in to the temptation. We are to persevere past that temptation and say, whatever that sin is, you don't own me. I've defeated you. I want nothing to do with you. That's the perseverance that Peter is talking about, self-control. Now, now look at, let's put it together one more time. I'm going to keep doing this through each one. As you investigate the scriptures, 
because you are in the fuller knowledge of Jesus Christ, that you believe with all your heart and your soul that epinosis, that knowledge that forms and shapes the way you live, that you know that one day you will be a partaker of the magnificent promises. You will be transformed into the divine nature. You will be in heaven with Jesus Christ. You look forward to that day as you supply diligence in your faith and you bring goodness, outstanding goodness within your life that you investigate the truth. And as you investigate the truth, you learn to defeat the sins in your life and have self-control over those things. As you have self-control, you persevere and you continue to persevere. And then in perseverance, you have godliness. And this godliness that Peter is talking about can be best defined as to live reverently, to live loyal, loyally, and be obedient toward God. Do you see it? Are you putting it together right now? Man, I hope you're, I hope you're not driving and you're trying to write notes because you need to go back. This is, this is fantastic truth right here. As you investigate the scriptures and you study the scripture, you gain self-control. As you, gain, as you have self-control, you begin to persevere. As you begin to persevere, uh, you have godliness. You're obedient to God. It's absolutely so cool. This takes care of your, of your life as you are obedient to God. Now, now watch what happens next. In verse 7, it says, In your godliness, as you are obedient to God, as you are obedient to the scriptures, do you see what comes next? Do you see what bubbles out of all of this, out of this self-control, this perseverance, this diligent to supply goodness, to, to make sure that you are walking well in your faith, that you will be a partaker of the divine nature? You actually begin to love your brothers in Christ. He says, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness... And in your brotherly kindness, love. This brotherly kindness can be best defined as mutual sacrifice for one another. Acts chapter 2. This is, Acts chapter 2 is the best example of what we're seeing with Peter here. Why would he show this? Because he saw it happen in Acts 2. As the church was saved, the Holy Spirit came down, thousands came to believe in Jesus Christ. They studied the word together. They committed to prayer together. They broke bread together. They then sold all of their belongings for the betterment of the church to provide for one another. And they loved each other. This love is this agape love, which is uh, this goodwill toward one another. So, Let's just bring that all together. In these few verses of verse 5, 6, and 7, if you were to summarize those things, these are the qualities of a believer living in Jesus Christ. These qualities are the things that are markers for you and I as we walk in our Christian faith. If we are living in that truer knowledge of Jesus, these things should be coming out of our lives. Verse 8, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, 
they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of God. This is epinosis knowledge in verse 8, that fuller knowledge that forms and shapes your life. Now look at verse 10. This is the conclusion of it all, all right? He's going to wrap it up now. He says, therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior will be abundantly supplied to you. All right. So now, um, this is absolutely amazing. All right. Now, here comes that final 2.5, maybe 0.3 uh, part of this. Okay. And that comes in verses uh, 9 to 11. All right. So, first, we're going to look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, if you, these qualities, the above things, uh, moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love, if these things are increasing, uh, you will bear fruit for the kingdom of God. There's no doubt about that. Uh, if they are not increasing, what's the opposite of that? All right? Uh, if you lack them, you're blind and you're short-sighted, having forgotten the purification of your sins. Essentially, what this is can be wrapped out to, if those qualities are increasing, you will bear fruit for the kingdom. If they're not increasing, do you really have that truer knowledge of Jesus Christ? Because if these qualities are not increasing, do you really have that life-transforming faith? And so what, he, what Peter wants these believers to do is he wants them to evaluate their life by them. He wants them to look and, at their lives and say, are these qualities that I have? Am I seeing fruit from my life as a believer? Am I being obedient to God? Because if I'm being obedient to God, I am absolutely developing self-control. If I'm being obedient to God, I am lavishly supplying moral goodness. I, I am living a life that brings honor and glory to Jesus Christ. All right, so now, here is the final part, okay? It's in verses 9 to 11. What is the importance of godliness? What is the importance of godliness in light of of these verses. Let me read them to you again. First uh, Peter chapter 9. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgot his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. All right? Uh, be diligent to make every effort to be bearing fruit in these qualities. What I've got in the margin of my Bible is that in verses 9 to 11, obedience 
equals security. It's the assurance of true salvation. That when all of these things are being added and supplied in my life, and I am living in a way that brings glory and honor to God, that I am investigating the truth of God's word, and God's word is washing over me and transforming me. If I'm persevering, if I'm striving after Jesus versus striving after the lusts of the world, if all of these things and these qualities are increasing, I will never have to worry about whether I am truly saved. You see that? This is not about losing your salvation if you're not applying them. I, I would wager to say that you probably weren't ever saved if you're not bearing fruit for the kingdom. That your heart has never truly been transformed by the gospel. That it is right now just gnosis. It's just head knowledge. It's just facts. That if you're, but if your heart was completely transformed, it would be forming and shaping the way you live and you would see fruit of that in your, in your own life. You would see sins that you were once slave to prior to um, praying that prayer or walking that aisle or surrendering, surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. You would see those sins be defeated. They'd no longer have rulership over you. You would not even want to participate in them anymore because there is greater joy in fulfilling the things that are obedient to God and his word than there are to your own lusts. You have security. That when you're walking in him, you're in, your, in his word, you're being obedient to his word, you're living a life that glorifies him. It says right there, Peter says, that the kingdom of God will be abundantly supplied to you. It's absolutely amazing to know that you could have that security in Jesus Christ because you have seen transformation in your own life. How often do we evaluate the, our own hearts to see if we are being obedient to his word? We have to sit back and we have to do that. Am I bearing fruit for the kingdom? Where is my attention? Where is my focus? How will you live in the light of opposition? You see, that's, that's what's coming now. That's what's, that's what's coming up, is this opposition to the truth. I mean, we're living in it right now. But all of these things, he says, that we will have abundantly supplied the kingdom of God, our entrance. It's amazing. Now look what he says uh, to end this in chapter 1, verses 12 to 15. He says, therefore, I'll always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them. So this note here in verse 12 of chapter 1 is that third definition of knowledge that I already give you. To know, it, it's uh, Edo, and it is that to pay attention or to observe. So if you look at this passage in verse 12, therefore I will be always ready to remind you of these things, even though you already observe them, you see them, and you have been established in the truth which is present. I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir to, up to you by the way of reminder, knowing 
that laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as the Lord Jesus Christ has made it clear to me. I will also be diligent at any time after my departure that you will be able to call these things to mind. This is absolutely uh, a amazing way to wrap up for Peter. Okay, so he says here um, in verse 12, I'm always going to remind you of these things. All right, what's previously there? Live in this way, walk in this way in your life, and you will become partakers of the divine nature. Don't practice these qualities, and you're not um, going to be fruitful for the kingdom. All right, so that's really what you're seeing here, is that if you lack those qualifications, you've forgotten your purification of sins. Are you really saved? Did you, did you really... Um, have life transformation. So his job as he's leaving this earth is to remind, is to remind, is to remind. Now, this is a really great, great thing to think about, is that Peter wants to instill this in the believer's mind so much so that even after he is gone, that he, they will be able to still hear his voice teaching these principles. Uh, the lasting impression that Peter wants to leave is that they will remember whether with them or not these truths and how to live in a life glorifying God. I can't help but think back to even in, in my own life, um, just think, uh, if you've had somebody pass away in your in your life, um, have you been able to just uh, sometimes pull back even the sound of that individual's voice telling you something? Uh, there are there are days when when from from a young boy I can still remember my aunt telling me to do things that I shouldn't be I shouldn't be doing things and and kind of chastising me for it. I can still hear her voice in my head as though she's present with me. Uh, Peter desires the same thing, that look what God has done for you. And because what God has done for you, this is what your response should be. And because this is your response, you should be obedient. And in that obedience, you have security in knowing where you're going to spend eternity. Isn't it amazing to see what Peter has just laid down in these verses for us? What about you? Do you know it? Do you know it with your heart? Are you bearing fruit from these principles that we've seen in verses 5, 6, and 7? Are you a person that is more along the lines of verse 9, lacking those qualities and not growing in them. I want to challenge you to, to dig into God's word and see what the truth of God's word does. Let it wash over you and transform you. Let the Holy Spirit convict you in areas where you so need to be convicted in your sins and be confident of where you're going to spend eternity. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Save us for the, from the corruption of this world. Take us home where we can be with you again. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. 
We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the work he did on the cross. We thank you that we can partake in these magnificent promises. That one day, Lord, we will be transformed from perishable to imperishable. All the creaks and the soreness of our bodies will be gone and we will spend eternity with you in heaven. In streets of gold where uh, we are just, uh, the streets are lit up not by light but by your glory. Where there's no corruption, there's no sin, there's no arguing over political leaders and there's no, there's no greater desire than that to bow at your feet and worship you. Lord, we pray that that time would come soon, but we also know that there is work to be done here on earth, and that's why many of us are still here. Father, we think of uh, this COVID-19 pandemic that's closing church doors and, and um, holding people in their houses. Lord, continue to teach us the lesson you want us to learn in this. Is the lesson as simple as turning our eyes from what's going on in the world to turning our eyes to the one who sits on the throne and scoffs at what's happening on earth with the leaders, as Psalm 2 says? Father, are you doing this to just draw our attention back to you that we'd be all the more diligent in our faith to be great witnesses for the world, to share the gospel, are you doing this, Lord, to, to correct us, to bring us back to you? Lord, we ask that you continue to show us, that you guide us, that you would give us a hunger for your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Preset Ministries, head to our website at www.presetministries.ca.